Hey, I'm Emma. Hey, I'm Zoe. And we're roommates who read. Hey everybody, welcome back to episode 32 of Roommate to Read. This week we are going to be talking about House of Sky and Breath, which is the second Crescent City book. And again, we're splitting this book into two episodes because she's long. She's She's thick. (laughs) I don't like that we said that at the same time. But yeah, uh, it'll be a similar setup to all of our other book reviews, you know, characters, plot, reactions. Wow, we're having the... uh that one early you know it felt right zoe where are we where are we going this week before we head back to crescent city to see our friends <laughs> so <lame. laughs> we're going to the literary libation station <laughs> thank you what are we drinking this week we're drinking the merman blues uh bartender emma take it from here tell us tell the people what's in this drink so the merman blues has two ounces of vodka an ounce of blue curacao, an ounce of lime juice, and then ginger beer to top with a little maraschino cherry umbrella combo. I like that you took the extra time in our notes to write blue curacao with this this funny C. Yeah, I have an international keyboard on my link to my thing. I'm, I just like that you took the time to do it. You're welcome. I do my research. Mm. You want to also tell <laughs> people another announcement? Yeah, Um. before I get into the episode... Uh, surprise, surprise, I'm sick again. <laughs> Thankfully not COVID this time, though I can't smell or taste anything. Um, so if my voice sounds a little funny, or if I cough, well, it's, it's part for the course these days. I'm gonna kill her. <laughs> I have kept my sickness away from you. I just have a superior immune system. Right now you have a sinus infection, which isn't contagious. Yeah, it's just uncomfortable. <laughs> Stop laughing at my discomfort. <laughs> what are you reading this week? I am reading Anastasia by Sophie Lark mm-hmm. still. <laughs> I have made <laughs> approximately 100 pages of progress since last week. There you go. I've had a busy week. Yeah. Um, it's also a long-ass book. It is. I do have to correct myself. Um, according to my Kindle edition, it's 849 pages. Oh. Whoa. Not over 900. I want to set the record straight here. We are a podcast of truth. <laughs> Ish. <laughs> Roughly. What are you reading this week? I'm reading A Children of Fallen Gods by Carissa Broadbent, which is the second book um, in the Daughter of No World series, which I started during the last episode. It's fine. With Anastasia, I don't know it's actually a ton about how this book is supposed to be. Like, I don't... Yeah. But we're getting to a point where, like, there's starting to be some implied... Like, maybe we may see some spice in mm-hmm. the book. And I'm like, I don't know if this is supposed to be a spicy book. Like, the main character, she'll be, like, talking about, like, the person who's obviously going to be the love interest. Mm -hmm. And he's, like, off fighting in war. But she'll, like, sometimes start thinking about him and get distracted. And it's, like, she thought about his hands. like their body. Yeah, and I'm like, like, (laughs) you're 16. (laughs) Oh. Okay. Should we, uh, should we jump? Into the meats? (laughs) (laughs) You thought it was going to die. <laughs> I did. It didn't. Okay, I'll do that. Okay, I did give our little flow in the intro, which apparently is 
not how this podcast works. <laughs> like, you're just throwing me for a loop. Sometimes we have a flow. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes you do it at the intro now. <laughs> I don't know. You're just going to have to start giving me a more detailed uh, script, I guess. Oh, my God. <laughs> Anyways, uh, like I said earlier that this episode will just be the first half of the Crescent City book. And unlike Crescent City 1, this book is only divided into three separate parts, not four. So the part two is a little bit longer, but we're going to be stopping midway through the book. So about chapter 36 is kind of where this is divided. So I tried to get roughly halfway. The question I have for you, and this is really technical, and you're probably going to be mad. Okay. When you say we're stopping at chapter 36. We are stopping at the end of chapter 36. Thank you. Before 37 starts. Through chapter 36. Through chapter 36. Thank you. Thank you. That was my question. That's an important clarification. So do we want to get into the characters? We, We shall, because this will be a long episode. Ethan, who is one of the wolves who's... Connor's younger brother. Connor was the one that got murdered. <laughs> so sensitive. <laughs> then we have Therian, who is the merman. The merman. We have Danica, who's dead, but was... <laughs> Sorry. She was Rice's best friend, who was violently murdered. I was getting there. She was dead, you know? <laughs> Just happens to be that way. Kind of the plot of the whole first book. Look, you assigned me the recap. If you don't like the way I do it, you can do it. Look, I had to give you something to do. Then we have Fury, who's another one of Bryce's friends, alive. Alive, yes. And she's the one that's kind of skeevy, but in a good way. Skeevy, yeah. But like, she's an assassin. Yeah. We have Juniper, another one of Bryce's living friends. And she's, she's a ballerina. She's also dating Fury. Then we have the Autumn King, who's Bryce's and Rune's dad, and mm-hmm. is like the head of the Fae. Yeah, in Crescent City. Right. And then we have the Asteri, who are, I don't know, to me they're kind of like the gods, but not really. Like, that's how I imagine yeah, them. They're, they're the supreme rulers of the entire planet of Midgard. Yeah. But they are godlike. Yeah. Because they can't really be killed. No, they're super ancient. Yeah. They predate Midgard's history. And there are seven of them, but one of them's dead. Yes. Sirius, I think, is dead? I think so. Yeah. R.I.P. Sirius. The one that we see the most is Regulus. Why did you say it? Regulus? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's funny. Sirius and Regulus are the brothers in Harry Potter. Yeah. Yeah. They're named after stars. They are. (laughs) Yeah. And so are the Asteri. Yes. That's true. (laughs) You know who's also named after a star? Who? Hunt. <laughs> Whoa. You pushed it. I just think it's an interesting coincidence. Orion. Yeah. I guess he's a constellation, not a star. If you want to get technical. <laughs> okay, moving on. <laughs> Give us the new characters. Yeah, so we have a nice little cast of new characters. The first mm-hmm. one is Sophie Rennest. She is half human, half Thunderbird. And Thunderbirds have the power to manipulate forms of energy, like electricity, but also First Light, which is really powerful. First Light is, like, what is empowering literally all of Midgard, and that's what it's given off when you do the drop. I want to say before I talk about the next character, Uh I'm sorry if you can hear the ice moving around in my glass. I just set it down, and I was like, that was kind of loud. So, um, sorry. But until this point... Oh, sorry. I thought thought you were done with Sophie. That's on me. (laughs) Until this point, uh, they thought Thunderbirds were extinct. 
And then they found about Sophie and another character. The other character yeah. is Emil, who is Sophie's little brother, mm-hmm. and he's also half Thunderbird. Yeah. And we don't know a ton about him. He's just no. a character, like... He's a kid. They're like, looking for... Yeah, he's like 13. Yeah. They're looking for him in the book, which we'll get into. Uh, the next character is Lydia, also known as the Hind, and she is half witch, half deer shifter. Um, and she lived with the witches, and then she started showing some of her deer shifter abilities, so she moved with her dad. Her dad's unknown to us. She moved from the witch compound area, whatever, I don't know what you call it. The coven? Yeah, the coven. <laughs> she moved away to live with her dad and, like, to be with the shifter people. Um, and then she became the spy master for Sandriel, which is how she got the nickname The Hind. So all of Sandriel's Triari members have those, like, double names. Nicknames. Nicknames, yeah. Um, and she's kind of incredibly cruel. She's very calculating. Um, and she's been in a relationship with Pollux for a lot of, for, like, many years. Pollux is also known as the Hammer. We'll talk about him in a second. The next character is Baxian. He is also in Sandriel's little party. Um... And his nickname is the Hellhound. He is an angel-like hunt, and he has dark black wings. He can also shift into a Hellhound form, which, hey, good nickname. Yep. Right on the nose. We also don't know a lot about him, but you get more of his personality in the book, Mm -hmm. because he is paired up with Hunt, which we'll talk about in a minute. Yeah. Hunt is just really not a fan of him, because he was part of Sandril's little, little troop. He's not really a fan of any of of the members of Sandril's group. Hunt accuses Baxian of ignoring how cruel Pollux is mm-hmm. and just kind of letting him get away with it. Mm-hmm. Emma writes, Baxian isn't really who he seems in a vague way that we'll get to eventually. He's not. No, he's not. But it's, yeah. just, it's just like the way you end. Baxian isn't really who he seems. He's not. Dot, dot, dot. Dot, dot, dot. So the next character is Pollux, also known as the Hammer. He is another angel member of Sandriel's group. He is described as this, like, blonde, golden boy with these, like, beautiful white wings. Interesting. But he's just an absolute piece of shit. Hunt calls him his number one motherfucker, which I think is, or motherfucker number one, something like that. But he's incredibly, incredibly cruel. He's always looking for a fight, and he's particularly rude and just, like, hateful towards women. Love it. great, you know? And from other people's description of his relationship with the hind slash lydia is that it's more from like his perspective perspective is that he like wants to possess her and like own her and that it's not really like a loving relationship but rather it's like one of dominance and that's just like his perspective towards women in general yummy which comes up in the book and hunt particularly particularly hates him and he pollux is really cruel to hunt in general too before we move on Mm -hmm. I'd like to stop on your description of Pollux for a minute and go back to me not reading character descriptions. Mm -hmm. Shocking. Do you know how I imagine Pollux? I'm afraid. (laughs) Do you remember the Uh first Harry Potter movie? The troll. But with wings. Because I knew he was an angel. No. That is not what he looks like. Troll in the dungeon. Also... We didn't give descriptions for the other people, but Lydia, she's, she looks more like a human because she's a deer shifter, but she, <laughs> sorry, I just, sorry, I just didn't, like, she's not an angel. <laughs> she looks like a human because she's part deer. <laughs> That's fair. Um, but it's like how Danica. She's also part witch. Yeah. Well, like how Danica shifts between a human form and her wolf form. Yeah. That's how Lydia is, but she's like 
beautiful and blonde and like golden haired golden skin that's how they describe her and then Baxian is like a super tall buff short haired black man with these like really dark wings and he has a massive scar on his neck from hunt okay next character is the harpy mm-hmm. we actually know nothing about literally the harpy, nothing really. there's no physical description of <laughs> no. her and we don't know her name she was also part of sandriel's party mm-hmm. and she shows up in some of the scenes but like that's literally about all we got it's just like the harpy was there with the hind nothing else about her <laughs> the harpy was in the room yeah period that literally that's all that's there and then another new character is cormac um i like to call him mccormick so if i do call him that in this episode as I, in the spices <laughs> i apologize um he is the crown prince of the avalon fae so if you remember rune is the crown prince of the Valbaran Fae. That he is. <laughs> so he's cousins with Rune through their mom's side of the families. Um, and he's just, he's very cocky. He's kind of like a prick, like a prining prick prince mm-hmm. energy. And he, when Rune won the Star Sword, he was fighting with Declan and Finn against um, Cormac and some of his cousins, I think. So Cormac resents Rune for having the Star Sword, and he's just kind of like a dick. Yeah. Okay, the last character that we're going to introduce you to, her name is Celestina. She's like the new governor mm-hmm. um, now that Micah's, you know. Also, I realized when I was going through this, we didn't say this in the plot summary for the last book, but Hunt killed Sandriel yeah. in the end of the book. So they are down two archangels, which is like very out of the norm. Anyways, so, that was a really a big point that I don't yeah. know how I missed, but I was writing this and I was like, fuck, we forgot to talk about that. And it's kind of a big deal that Hunt kills her. Like, yeah. That's kind of a thing for him. And that's why the exterior, like, will forgive you if you don't say a word about what happened. Forgive him for her murder. Yeah. Anyways, let's get back to Celestina. She's, so she's the new governor. Mm-hmm. She's real low key for an archangel. Like, she's chill. Mm-hmm. Um, she ruled a really small territory before Micah and Sandril, you know. And she's described as being very kind, polite, and elegant. How did yeah. you imagine her? Just kind of this, like, ethereal goddess who just has this, like, aura around her. Hunt describes her a lot. Like, they go to her private residence that obviously used to be Micah's, which before when Micah had it was, like, very modern and very severe. And Hunt describes that she brought this just soft, hmm. feminine energy to it. Like, there were comfortable couches and flowers and like rugs <laughs> just like she seems very not maternal but just very like female in a powerful way but in a, a, a soft like very feminine way that was a really interesting way of that yeah what what did you imagine her as well, kind of similar but like i imagine her as this like very like high cheekboned black woman with she gives me like 70s disco vibes in a really yeah, weird way. I, I can see that. Like, almost, like, hippie vibes, but not really. Yeah. Um, Like, I feel like she'd wear bell bottoms. You know what I mean? Yeah. And has, like, flowers and stuff. Yeah. Floral prints. <laughs> I feel like she'd say groovy. And I don't know what it is about her that really does that for me, but, like... Hunt and the other members of the group, like Isaiah, are a little bit taken aback by her, because she's just such stark contrast to how Micah led. So... That's something yeah. that I feel like gets brought up a lot. That's what I'm telling you. She seems like she'd say groovy. Okay. Hunt's like, we just killed this person. Groovy. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Um, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm going to talk about the prologue. <laughs> Buckle in for the prologue because I found it quite confusing when I read it the first time. So I have to go back and reread it. My and then I read for the prologue. The prologue. <laughs> and then I read Emma's description of the prologue, knowing the entire book, and I was still like, what the fuck's going on here? Let, let the record show <coughs> that I wrote this description again, and I did it yesterday, and it took me a really long time to do it. It took me, like, several hours. So I was going to come back to it today and just, like, think on it, you know, refine it a little bit, cut some stuff out. I didn't really do that because there's just so much going on. Um, but I was telling Zoe, I was like, oh, yeah, this one pop point, and she was like, Huh? I'm like, this is an integral plot point to how the book ends. Yeah. Yeah, that just, yeah. That doesn't mean that I actually remember it. Yeah. That is one thing about this book. I'll get into <clears throat> my reactions a little bit, too. Is that I feel like the first book, the plot was Bryson Hunt solved Danica's murder. Yeah. And there was some side quests that went along with that. This book is like 20 side quests yes. all the time. Yes. And there's so many POVs and it switches between POVs between chapter, like mid chapter. There's just a lot happening in this book. And there's a lot of stuff that happens concurrently because we're getting chapters from multiple people's POVs. So like Bryce and Hunt are off doing one thing. Maltherian's doing one thing, but it's happening at the same time, but they're in sequential chapters. And Rune is doing something else. And he yeah. has Ethan and like... So I tried to cue that into the plot description, but not everything is chronological it's some of it simultaneous yeah so keep that in mind let's get into the prologue <laughs> let's let's so the prologue begins with sophie who we introduced i forgot that we did that already <laughs> who is trying to break out of the Kavalin death camp where she's being held because she's a human rebel this is like a prisoner of war camp um and she's working with the affine group affian Afian? I don't know how you would say that. That's an Afian. Afian group of rebels, and she's trying to break out. She, her mission was to like basically get sent to this camp to break out her brother and to break out some other kids from the camp who the group of rebels thinks could be useful in the war cause. Um, and so she has help from another Afian Afian agent whose code name is Agent Silverbow. Um, and they kind of have like a little bit of a thing for each other. Which Sophie hints to in the prologue. So they're, like, in the process of of escaping, Agent Silverbow has, like, a getaway car at the ready. They get in the car, and they're driving to a port um, because they're going to take a boat from wherever the camp is to Crescent City. Um, And she kind of makes a comment in her head to herself that she's, like, surprised no one is following them yet because if the Asteri found out what she knows that they would obviously kill her and that they would send the hind after her because the hind is now like a spy master for the Asteri. So they make it all the way to the port and then they're encircled by dread wolves, which are wolf shifters. But Ethan describes them as like a horrible version of a wolf shifter. And like, he doesn't want to be compared to them. I don't know exactly how they're different, um, but they're just, they're, they're not for the Asteri. Yeah. If nothing else, low morals. Yeah. And the Hind um, <clears throat> commands a group of dread wolves. And her second command, his name is Mordok. He's also a dread wolf. And he comes up later on. But the Hind and her group of dread wolves shows up. They surround Sophie. And Sophie stays behind to fight the Hind while Silverbow and all of the kids get into the boat to try and, like, escape. 
the boat that Silver Bow is driving is going to meet up with the group of rebels and they have like a boat to take the children back. So because Sophie is a Thunderbird, she has the power to control electricity. So she basically pulls on all the electricity and all the first light from the city and causes it to, she's using it to fight the hind and to fight the wolf shifters, the dread wolves. And in the water chasing the boat that Agent Silverbow is driving are a bunch of submarines from the Asteri because they want to kill everyone on the boat. And it doesn't matter if they're children to them. Yeah, well. And so she also <laughs> knocks out the submarines using her first light power. But because she uses, like, so much energy all at once, she weakens herself. And then the Hind and Mordok and the other Dreadwolves are able to capture her. And the prologue ends um, with the hind and Mordok and her out on a boat and they tie her up to a bunch of like lead blocks and push her into the water like mafia style yeah <laughs> that's the only way you can imagine it and the hind asks her any last words and she says go to hell and then she gets pushed into the water and then the prologue ends let me just say that after like months of waiting for that book mm-hmm. opening the book and oh, reading yeah. that as the first chapter i was like what huh? the f- fuck because there's other than the hind we know literally nothing else about what's happening yeah and also like the my first thought reading that was what did i forget from the last book i was like who the fuck is sophie literally how does this come in and i don't know it just it sets a very specific tone it does anyways continue with the plot yeah, so, like, someone was saying, Back to no, Bryce now. <laughs> there's no mention of, like, where this is fitting in with the timeline. Like, you were just dropped this prologue. Surprise! And then chapter one, it's like, Bryce and Hunt are going to see Juniper at the ballet. That's yeah. what's happening. We're like, oh, cute, fun. Oh, like, cute little date. Well, how does Hunt's the prologue wearing a relate? suit, so yeah. handsome. So, it starts off, they're in the, like, lobby of the auditorium. Because Bryce is now the starborn heir slash Faye, she shares this title with Rune after the end of the last book. She has a little star in between, in between her boobs, like on her chest, mm. um, that emits. I thought starlight. it was kind of like right above her boobs. Yeah, yeah, in her chest, on her chest, it's filled with starlight, and sometimes it'll glow brighter, you know. But it's constantly That's there. So annoying. Yeah, and even though like they're happy, things aren't totally back to normal. But they're getting there, and she's also getting a lot of attention because she saved the city, but also because of the murders and like. The people of Crescent City don't know everything that happened with Micah. So there's just a lot of stuff up in the air. Between her and Hunt, they are taking things slow. (laughs) They have this deal with each other that they can't, like, sleep together or start dating until the winter solstice. And it's making things tense, (laughs) to say the least. Because they're still living together. Yeah. And they obviously, like, really like each other. And literally all of Bryce's friends, like, her mom are just they're like go for it like this is you obviously really like him why are you so hesitant about this but they both kind of had this conversation where because they got together and under such like unusual and kind of difficult circumstances they're worried that their relationship isn't necessarily going to make it under normal times you mean this isn't how everyone meets their partner (laughs) maybe not oh interesting (laughs) so after the ballet rune declan and flynn throw a massive party in their true frat boy fashion um and there's a scene <laughs> from it it's like literally runes opening chapter i think it's the start it's chapter of chapter three okay it's like the first page of chapter three <laughs> do you want to describe the scene for the people basically 
you get Rune's point of view, and it's just him talking about the fact that this girl is, like, sitting on his face right now. And he says something like, he's so high out of his mind he can't feel his face, which is really unfortunate. Yeah. Because there's a girl sitting on it. And that is the start. <laughs> and the first time you see Rune since the end of book one. <laughs> it was, again, so random. Because, I read it and I was like, whoa. <laughs> especially because there's literally no spice in the other book. Yeah. We've just, we've thrown all things out the window. Uh, So Bryson Hunt show up and then Prince Cormac is there. And he's like, ha, surprise, I'm here. I'm also engaged to Bryce. And she's like, you're an absolute dick. And they all like kick him out, basically. They talk about how Rune really doesn't like Cormac because he had to fight him during his trial where he won the sword. This just, like, causes some tension between Rune and Cormac. But the sword also now calls to Bryce because she is the Starborn Fae as well. And she's more powerful than Rune. Rune, yeah. And this... Rune isn't necessarily self-conscious about it, but it's something that he thinks about because he doesn't really feel like he should be the true Starborn heir anymore because most of his power comes from um, his mother's side, not the, like, Starborn powers, whereas Bryce, the majority of her power is the Starborn power. It's, like, all of her power, pretty much. Yeah. So this is just, like, a con- an internal conflict that Rune is dealing with for the rest of the book. And it's not like he's jealous of Bryce either. No. Because he's having an identity crisis. He is, yeah. While this is going on, the River Queen is mad at Therian, which, what's new, what's is new? kind of what we get from Therian's, like, yeah. point of view. And she sends him on a mission as punishment to look for Sophie's body. Mm-hmm. Also, I think we should mention really quick that Therian is betrothed to the River Queen's daughter, mm-hmm. but he really doesn't like her. Yeah. When he gets to where, like, the location mm-hmm. is that he's been sent out to look for her, there's no body, but he finds the lead blocks that she was tied to, but the ropes have been cut. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Therian's also been able to find the boat that they all escaped on, and it looked like they were headed to Crescent City. So that's yeah. kind of what Therian's got yeah. right now. So he's maybe thinking that, could Sophia have survived this? Like, could have one of the other um, underwater courts saved her and, like, helped the kids out because the boat's been abandoned? So everything's a little bit up in there. After the party, Bryce comes back to her apartment, the party with Rune. Bryce comes back to her apartment, and they find Ethan on the couch, and he's all beaten up. Um, He said that his pack leader tried to say something bad about Bryce, and Ethan defended Bryce. Um, So they beat him up, and they kicked him out of the pack. And so Bryce offers for Ethan to move in, because obviously she feels bad about it. And this is an undercurrent in the whole story, but you find out that Ethan has had a crush on Bryce, literally since they've been in college, so like for a really long time, and he later on in the book says that, you know, if Connor never ended up asking Bryce on a date, he was going to soon and that he has a thing for her. So that's just something to keep in mind. <laughs> a few days later, again, this is all kind of just happening in like quick succession. We're building. Yeah. We're, we're in the, the building stages. The Autumn King talks to both Rune and Cormac about their arranged marriages. Um, like Zoe said, Rune is in an arranged marriage with Hypaxia, who is the- An queen- arranged engagement. Engagement um, to the Queen of the Witches, and Cormac is obviously in an arranged arranged engagement also a little enraged <laughs> yeah um with bryce and he tells rune that hypaxia like is the queen of the witches like we said but the autumn king says that she's a necromancer which rune didn't know um and this is kind of a frowned upon witch ability so the witches aren't super happy that she's their queen because she has necromancer powers so that's something that like he just the politics of that he needs to keep in mind um and that 
Rune and or in this moment, the Autumn King tells Rune and Cormac that the Hind slash Lydia is Hypaxia's half older sister, which is something that we did not know. Hypaxia and Lydia have never actually met, or they've met like once or twice, but Lydia was already living with her dad in like the Deer Shifter group when Hypaxia was born. This is such a weird little like web of the way people yeah. are getting connected. Yeah. So Hunt meets the new governor, Celestina, and she seems really chill and kind compared to Micah. So Hunt, Naomi, and Isaiah will all still be part of her triari like they were, you know, under mm-hmm. Micah. But two new members are joining Pollux, the Hammer, and Baxian, the Hellhound. Uh... Baxian and Hunt get like paired together as like partners, basically. And Hunt is really pissed off about it. Yeah. Um, but Baxian basically tells him not to like judge a book by its cover, pretty mm-hmm. much. And he's kind of coming off as like a nice guy, which Hunt is like, what the fuck is yeah. going on here? And a lot of these POVs, or a lot of this conversation is from Hunt's perspective. So Hunt is just not pleased about it. But Baxian is, he's setting the foundation that he might not be such a bad guy after all. Uh, and while this is all going on, the River Queen still has Therian researching about Sophie and the missing kids, and Therian learns that Sophie was communicating with Danica. Fucking shocker. <laughs> Before she died. Therian hacked into uh, Sophie's email and found some emails from Danica. A few of them had the subject line, Dusk's Truth, and then there was another thread of emails that had the subject line, Project Thur. So... Again, Therian is suspicious, especially after everything we learned about Danica right. in the last book and how we know that she was maybe a little bit more sympathetic to the rebels and everything but the synth and just <coughs> the lies upon lies upon lies. So Therian kind of just stores this knowledge away. Therian then goes to Bryce and Hunt's apartment to talk to them, plus Rune and Ethan. He tells them about Sophie and um, her brother Emil being Thunderbirds mm-hmm. and about the emails. Yeah. Bryce is even more hurt at this point because she feels like everything she learns about Danica, she knows less and less about her. Yeah, she's really upset. And Hunt doesn't want to get involved with this. No. Kind of basically, I mean, in part because of the warning with the Asteri, mm-hmm. who they were just like, lay low. Yeah. Um, but Bryce is really worried about Emil being missing and mm-hmm. just like, the fact that he's kind of a coveted item. Yeah, and Bryce is worried that the either the Asteria are going to capture him and kill him, or that the Rebels are going to capture him and use his Thunderbird abilities and not really care about him. And he's just a kid. And Hunt's worried that, like I said a second ago, the Asteria is going to come after them, but they mm-hmm. talk to Fury the next day, and Bryce tell, or Fury tells Bryce that Danica was a bloodhound which meant that she could sniff out people's bloodlines. Yeah. Another thing Bryce didn't know. Yeah. And so Bryce is just like, what the hell else do I not know about Danica? Yeah. So after talking with uh, Fury, Bryce and Rune and Hunt go back to her apartment. Um, and Adis is there, but he's in his cat form. And they walk in and the cat is sitting on Ethan's lap. And Therian <laughs> is there. And like Ethan is just petting this cat. And Therian is having this conversation. And they're just thinking it's like normal cat. And they're just, you know, chit-chatting, petting the cat. At what point do they not question why there's a cat in Bryce's apartment? They Ethan literally has no thoughts about it. He does not question it at all. The cat jumps down and then shifts into a man form. <laughs> And Ethan and their Therian are like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> and Ethan's like, wow. <laughs> just so thrown. It's really funny. Um, 
But Adis comes in and he tells Bryce that her power comes straight from Thea, who is the last starborn queen. I'm taking you another Fey history lesson. Jesus Christ. So this is all from what Adis' story. I feel like you need like <laughs> like a whiteboard or a smartboard yeah. or something. Here's the Fey family history. Tree. <laughs> so Adis goes into the story about Thea, and Thea had a daughter named Helena. And so up until this point, Rune and Bryce thought that Peleus was the starborn king and like the, the starborn prince and the heir and everything. But Adis actually corrects the story by saying that um, Helena was forced to marry Peleus and that's the line of power like their descendants is how Rune has his power but Bryce's power is descended directly from Thea who is actually like the true starborn queen and her power is like the truest starborn power. And uh, Adis continues to say that Peleus was just a general under Thea, but he wanted more power. So he killed Thea, stole the star sword, and then fi- forced Helena to marry him. And then basically rewrote Faye history, saying that he was the one who, you know, did all this stuff during the first war when it was actually Thea who was doing most of it. What a fucking man move. I know. Um, and there's this description of Helena that rune because adis makes this comment about how like rune's power is corrupted and he's like not a true starborn and rune's already a little down in the dumps about this <laughs> um but rune makes this quote that says helena from whose golden skin poured starlight and shadows and so rune is like hello that's me golden skin starlight and shadows like <laughs> i'm more like helena than you might claim even though i don't have the same starborn power that Bryce does. And Adis says that the sword, belo- the sword belongs to Thea's female heir, aka Bryce, and it should have never been wielded by men in the first place. Okay. Uh, Hello, Adis. <laughs> and then Adis goes on to finish the story saying that Helena vanished into the night and that Peleus used the sword plus the horn to establish himself on the throne and then passed it down to his descendants. So we don't actually know what happened to Helena, which is interesting. I never thought about that until you said that. Like, I read this, and I was like, oh, yes, Helena vanished into, into the, the night. night. Cool. And then you're like, we don't know what happened to her. And I was like, oh, shit. Again, Rune is just really all upset about this because he's he's questioning himself. He's having an internal crisis. And Poor guy. <laughs> after Adis goes on his Fae history lesson, he tells Bryce that he wants her to use her powers to end the war like her ancestors did. And he thinks that Bryce is the only one who can fully end the war. And that she needs to step up her training, basically, to have better command of her starborn powers. I was so... I, I mean, obviously the prologue was going to connect, but I, was, I wasn't I was sure how it was going to come. I in. really had no fucking clue and where Cormac we were going And Cormac being Agent Silverbow was not what I thought was going to happen. So Cormac agrees to team up with them to look for Emile and possibly Sophie if she's still alive. Because like yeah. we said, they had a little... A little thing. A little fling. And Cormac says the whole reason that he agreed to marry Bryce in the first place is because he knew Danica and Sophie were communicating and he wanted to he wanted access to both Bryce and Rune, especially now that Danica is um dead. No way. No <laughs> way. <laughs> Ophaya needed needed to access needed access to Rune as well because as from his like starborn powers, he had these mind speaking abilities. Yeah. Which apparently are pretty rare for the Fae. And Rune makes a comment that two of Cormac's cousins through like they have more Valbaran lineage have mind speaking abilities but Cormac's like you know I can't trust anyone in my family which sus and so Bryce agrees to like keep up appearances with her engagement to Cormac for as long as it takes for them 
to find a meal or to get to the bottom of what Danica and Sophie were doing just to kind of like prolong the ruse, help them both get what they want in the end. Spoiler alert, Danica was up to a lot of shit. <laughs> no fucking way. <laughs> I feel like the first book is like, we have to solve Danica's murder. And the plot of the second book is like, what the fuck was Danica doing that led her to be murdered? Yeah, literally. So later that night, after their visit with Adis, the kitty cat. <laughs> uh, I, want, I want a kitty cat and I want to name it Adis now. You should. Sorry, kitty. <laughs> Uh, later that night, uh, Hunt and Bryce are asleep, and Hunt has this dream, and in the dream, or what he thinks is a dream, he's visited by the Prince of the Pit, whose name is Apollyon. Another Prince of Hell. Yeah, who is, like, the Prince of Hell. He's the head, the, the head Prince of Hell, the head honcho <laughs> yeah. of Hell. Yeah. Um, the head hell honcho. The head hell honcho. And when the dream starts up, Hunt is kind of disoriented, and he's a little bit confused, but he describes hearing the rustling of leathery wings which is just an interesting like interesting inclusion and apollyon starts talking and hunt's like what's going on apollyon calls him orion which hunt is not a fan of and hunt's even more confused and he's like how are you speaking to me in my dream and he's really concerned about bryce's safety but apollyon explained that they're in a pocket realm between worlds and that he's talking to hunt because apollyon wants to assess his progress basically in his like accessing his powers now that the slave tattoos have been removed and he tells hunt that he should join his power with bryce and that their powers are actually a little bit more similar than they originally thought saying that they are both conduits i'm just can you say his name again apollyon interesting uh, well what would you say i say apollyon like apollo oh. yeah i see it uh, so Hunt's a little bit shaken up by this dream, but he goes back to sleep. Chapter ends. We move on. <laughs> so that was fucking weird. <laughs> There's no, like, more conclusion than that. Hunk shoe, hunk shoe. <laughs> so later, Rune meets up with Cormac, and Cormac asks him to use his mind speak powers to contact Agent Daybright um, through this crystal that the Rebel Network has set up. And before, Sophie had this crystal, and she was using the crystal to communicate with Agent Daybright. And they need someone to make contact with Daybright. So Rune agrees, and he makes contact with her, and when they're talking to each other, it's like they're in, like, a mind, they're kind of mind-speaking with each other, but it's not just voices. They go into, like, a dreamscape, almost, like they're in a black room, and when he sees Agent Daybright, he can tell that she's a woman, but her silhouette is cloaked in flames, like, she has fire, like, lighting up her silhouette, and then Rune looks down at himself, and he's covered in, like, stars in the night sky and galaxies and planets but it it fills up his silhouette do you know how i kind of imagine where they are what do you think do you remember in the first thor movie when they're on like the rainbow bridge of the bifrost mm -hmm. that's kind of how i imagine like on opposite ends of the not like opposite ends but like mm -hmm. standing on that rainbow bridge like almost in space yeah yeah they're kind of in just like liminal space yeah but they can you know walk closer to each other they can interact with each other but they can touch each other, but it's like, can't they? Yeah, but not, they haven't figured that out yet. He's got to figure out what his mind self can do. Yeah, because this is a part of his power set he hasn't really used before. And again, he's using this crystal to help him do that. So he thinks that like maybe some of this is coming from the crystal, not from his own ability. So a few days later, Pollux assaults a woman in the street in Pollock's fashion. It's kind of awful. <laughs> yeah, I didn't remember that. Yeah, it's very weird. It's a... A very interesting interaction um 
and it causes this big media frenzy because you know Celestina's the new governor and like these are supposed to be her people of law and order and like here's Pollux like assaulting women and not a good look no not a good look so the Asteri forced Celestina to mate slash be betrothed to another archangel named Ephirim Ephirim Ephraim. 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 Okay. Um, and the ceremony is going to take place in a month. Um, and Celestina's, it's obvious through her conversation that she is not really on board with this, but, you know, like, she makes a comment saying, like, Pollux and Baxian, this Asteri have chosen to give you a second chance. And Pollux is like, oh, the Asteri are benevolent masters indeed. And Celestina's like, yeah, indeed. You know, she's, she's not on board with the Asteri, but she obviously has to be because they control her life, basically. Right. <laughs> um, and after this whole conversation, Celestina tells Hunt to just, like, stay back and they have a conversation with each other. And she tells Hunt that Celestina was very close with um, Hunt's former lover, Sahar? Shahar? Shahar. Um, and that she actually tried to buy Hunt from Sandriel three separate times, but the Asteri turned her down all three times. And that she eventually just had to give up because she didn't want to raise suspicion because no one really knew about her friendship with Shahar. Um, and that after Hunt killed Sandriel, Celestina was glad that she did it and was like, her miserable life needed to be ended anyways. So Hunt is very surprised by that. He had no idea. While this is also happening, Therian finds the body of a Selkie which is another type of magical veneer. And Ethan is there because he's just like shadowing Therian because he has nothing to do now that he's been kicked out of the wolf shifters. And so Ethan's at the crime scene, he's helping Therian. And through his like wolf abilities, he sends both male and female scents on the Selkie's body. And they're able to put it together that the Selkie helped Emil, Sophie's little brother, into Crescent City. And that Pippa, who is the captain of Sophie's unit of rebels, figure this out and then tortured the Selkie for information. And when the Selkie either gave her the information or wouldn't give her the information, Pippa killed her. And that's how they find the body. So that they know that Emil is probably somewhere within Crescent City, but they aren't sure if the rebels have him yet or not. And then it switches back to Bryce's POV and she's trying to fight the Reapers off, but the Reapers just say that they want to give her a message saying that the Prince of the Pit is ready to fight and wants to fight Bright specifically because he thinks that she's a worthy opponent when she's reached her full power. And she's like, you don't have to capture my fucking brother to deliver this message. <laughs> you could have used an otter. <laughs> yeah. And then the Reapers are like, well, now that we're here, maybe we'll just get a little taste of you. And they want to, you know, attack Bryce. Yummy. So she's trying to fight them off. And then Cormac appears seemingly out of thin air. So we learn that Cormac can teleport. Some may call it winnowing. Hmm, weird. And together they fight off the Reapers. And Bryce uses the Star Sword. They like grab it from Rune's unconscious body. And the Reapers are very afraid of the Star Sword. And Bryce says when she picks it up, nothing has ever felt so right. Which I think is interesting. <laughs> Go ahead. Tell us about the next point, Emma. So the next point, um, Bryce and Hunt finally get down to business. What do you mean by get down to business? They finally sleep with each other. Okay. Not even fully. I don't think so, no. There's a scene before where, like, Bryce gives Hunt a blowjob, but Ethan oh, is still in the apartment, and Ethan, like, after they've finished, Ethan shouts, 
I'm traumatizing. He's <laughs> making all these jokes because he could hear them. So the next time they hook up, they do it in the Jim and Bryce's apartment building. And Hunt uses his- Let me just say, I've been to a- I've lived in a handful of apartments. The gym's not that private. No. Usually surrounded by a lot of windows. Yeah. Glass doors. Yeah. Uh, so, during their hookup, Hunt uses his lightning on Bryce's lady bins. <laughs> and, personally, we both think that that would be a little bit painful. I talk more about this later. I'm gonna talk more about this later. Um, yeah. I read, we'll talk about it later. Yeah. We'll save that for later. The reason I included this is because the aftermath of the hookup is important. Also the fact that the the sexual tension is finally breaking. Oh my gosh. But Bryce makes a joke about what she would call her, call Hunt. And she's like, I can't call you my boyfriend. Like that feels too young. Like you're not a boy. And then they go back and forth about all this stuff. And then Bryce is like, oh, maybe I'll call you my lover. And then Hunt is like, ah, yes, just ye old lover. And then Hunt suggests calling each other mates. Whoa. <laughs> I feel like Whoa. we've crossed into some territory here. And Bryce tells him, Hunt's like, what if I called you my mate? Like, I know that's an important term to the Fae. And then Bryce describes the significance of the term mate to the Fae and how, you know, if they start calling each other mates, then that's a very specific commitment that you, like, basically they're, you know, bonded for life and they Bryce and Hunt need to think about that more before they start calling each other mates and she says you know like usually mates are between two fae because it's a biological thing so I don't know if we could be true mates dun, dun, dun. weird <laughs> well this is going on simultaneously again all of these things are happening concurrently but we're getting them in different chapters from different POVs Daybray and Rune have another little mind-speak conversation, and they talk about the Rebels' plan to steal these robotic suits, which would give humans more magic-like abilities so that they could have a more even fight with the veneer. And during the com- conversation, um, Agent Daybright realizes that Rune is more of a high rank um, because he talks about being, like, leading the Ox, and she's like, oh, shoot, like, he's probably pretty high up. An important person. Yeah. And she panics a little bit because she's worried that he might be a double agent or just, like, what implications that could have for... Obviously, she doesn't know who Rune is, so she's a little skeptical. Right, because she can only kind of see his, like, star body. Yeah, and they obviously they don't know each other's identities. Right, that's kind of the point. Yeah. (laughs) Of a secret identity. Yeah. (laughs) After all these conversations, Bryce and Hunt decide to go to the Bone Quarter to look for a meal. They have some intel that makes them think that he's in the Bone Quarter. It's a little bit unclear. But that's where they want to go to look. In my mind, stupid choice. Can you imagine how scary that would be? Yeah. As a child, to yeah. just, like, getting dropped off in the bone quarter? The place of the dead? Yeah. Anyways, Bryce and I go to the bone quarter to look for a meal, and they get to the shores of the bone quarter, and they are calling out to the underking, because obviously he's not there to greet them, because, you know, the living people don't usually go to the bone quarter. The underking is <laughs> probably like, what the fuck? So he gets summoned, and he's like, who summoned me? That's how I imagine it. And the first thing Bryce wants to know is why he sent the Reapers after her and Rune, because she doesn't believe the Reapers that the Prince of the Pit actually communicated yeah. the message. And the Underking is like, bitch, but the Reapers don't lie. The under- the Prince of the Pit did want to talk to you. Like, that's what happened. So <laughs> the Underking is annoyed that they summoned him and that they asked this question about the Prince of the Pit. And they're having this whole conversation, and the Underking explains through this conversation. It's really spooky, let me just say. It is. 
he explains in this conversation that when people die, they go to the bone quarter, but he eventually sends them through the dead gate. So if you remember, there are all of these gates in Crescent City, and there's one in the bone quarter, which is how Danica was able to communicate with Bryce. But this gate has a little bit more ability than just like the communication. Like, like the other gates within the city are kind of more symbolic, like they're relics more than anything now. But the dead gate in the bone quarter, when he's when the underking sends souls through the dead gate, they give off second light which is like first light but it's second light because they're dead and it's to me it's it i understood it as like the last bit of their soul soul. just like poofing out basically yeah because the first light that people give off when they make the drop helps power midgard and crescent city but the under king uses he basically feeds off of the second light when people die and And the concept really disturbs that's like very disturbing to them because i think to them the bone quarter is like where your soul goes to rest basically yeah and your soul is there eternally and you can you know reunite with your loved ones and (laughs) it's gonna sound so crude when i say it basically the bone king's just munching on souls yeah the bone king the under king is munching on jesus christ (laughs) he's munching on everyone's souls which is just like very harsh reality yeah. as to what is going to happen to them when they die. And, you know, Hunt makes a comment to himself. He's like, I thought I would finally get to see my mother. Like, basically, there is no concept of the afterlife, which is what they've all been told. Which there could be if the after the Underking wasn't munching on them. Yeah. He's uh, going to have ten names by the time I'm done <laughs> saying the Underking. <laughs> so, the Bone King, the After King. <laughs> they're obviously upset about this and they're like why would you be consuming first light and he makes a comment that he's not the or second light he, why would you be consuming second light and the under king makes a comment that he's following in others footsteps but they're they don't know what to do with this information they're very confused by it because to bryson Who hunt else is munching on the light <laughs> to bryson hunt <laughs> the first light is used just to power the city Bryce- wow, Emma, it sounds like maybe that's not what the first light does. Wow, so weird that you would pick up on that. Wow, maybe we'll talk about it next episode. But Bryce, being, you know, the smart person she is, goes, why would you tell us this? And then Hunt goes, because he's not going to let us live or leave here alive. And then her king is like, gotcha. <laughs> Bingo! <laughs> I can imagine him as Hades from the, yeah. the Disney Hercules, yeah. which is why in my mind he's like, Bingo! <laughs> so, the Under King then proceeds to attack them. And he sends hellhounds after them. And they keep shifting, and they they have heads, like the... They have multiple heads, like the, the Hydra. Oh, okay, you know? yeah. Um, I was wondering who the they were for a minute. The hellhounds. The hellhounds have multiple heads. Like the three-headed dog in yeah. Harry Potter. A lot of Harry uh, Potter references this episode. Apparently. <laughs> apparently I'm on a kick. But, yeah, so they're fighting them off, and... Because when the Prince of the Pit visited Hunt in his liminal space, told him that he should combine his power with Bryce, Hunt is about to, like, do this lightning zap, and Bryce jumps in front of it with the Star Sword, and the lightning from from Hunt hits the Star Sword and, like, absolutely demolishes the Hellhounds. Like, it's this crazy thing. Bryce is described as being, like, electrified and, you know, has this power running through her, and Hunt describes it as, like, this most amazing thing he's ever seen. They're, they're flabbergasted, bamboozled. This is very different than the last time Hunt zapped Bryce. <laughs> <laughs> Why'd you have to ruin their moment? <laughs> Anyways, That's what I do. They escape, 
and Hunt flies them to the edge of the island where Therian comes to rescue them on a little boat. <laughs> a little boat. <laughs> and then they go back to the mainland. End of this chapter. Next chapter picks up. It's just a very ab- stop there. It's just a very abrupt ending to like this fight scene. Therian takes them back to the main city, but the city is a buzz with the betrothal ceremony preparations, and they find out that the Hind and Mordok are in Crescent City. And they're talking to Ethan about this, and they ask Ethan if he's ever met Mordok, specifically because Mordok is also um, a bloodhound, so he can sh- uh, scent out people's bloodlines. And Rune is really concerned that if he gets like a whiff of their scent, that there could be some issues. So he asks Ethan if he's ever met Mordok. And well, e- hey, you said he was a bloodhound. Yeah. Who else did we just find out was a bloodhound? I'm getting there right now. Mm, Yes, tell us more. So Ethan says that he met Mordok once because he came to the wolf den because Mordok is, dun-dun-dun, Danica's father. (laughs) Ah, another thing that Bryce didn't know about Danica. Exactly. And that's how how Danica had her bloodhound gift is through Mordok. I bet Bryce is doing really well with this information. She's not. Interesting. Yeah, shocking, right? And that's where we're going to wrap up. There's some things that are going to be happening next, but it was a lot to get into for the end of this episode because we anticipated this episode to be very, very long. So we stopped at the end of chapter 36. Now that we went through that whirlwind of a plot, like I said, this is getting into my reactions. There are so many fucking things going on in this book. There are so many plot points. And I know... I'm a Crescent City girl. I have said this before in other episodes of this podcast. It's and bold. I would like to say that I'm more so talking about the first Crescent City book and the end of Crescent City 2. <laughs> That's how I feel. Because, I mean, we mentioned this earlier. Like, the first book is about Danica's murder. The second book, there are like 10,000 plot lines that are coming together. But I think that there are so many important implications that we cannot discuss in this episode because... We're they happen in the later half of yeah. the book. And this first plot, this first half of the book is just setting up all of those storylines. But there are so many storylines that come together that it's just, there's there's so much that's happening. I will say, with the amount of things that's going on, I love the way the SJM can really tie in, like, 10,000 yeah. stories. Like She gets me every time. And she... Who plant the seeds oh, early in the book. Yeah. And you won't even think it's important. And then you're in like the last 200 pages and you're like, oh, that Shit. thing, that guy did that one time. Yeah. Oh no. I mean, besides all of the like crazy plot points and like the rebel plot that's happening, I do feel like this book is not like, yes, it is the sequel to Crescent City One, but they feel like two very separate books. They do. And I don't really know how to reconcile that because like we get, we hear talk about the human rebels and the war. But I don't necessarily understand, or I don't necessarily think that Crescent City sets up Crescent City 2. No, except really Bryson Hunt's relationship and the fact that Danica is shady. hashtag dead. Yeah. And shady. But it's they don't feel totally congruent. No, and I don't feel like this is kind of a critique of Crescent City 2 as a whole. Spoiler free. But I don't feel like... I don't feel like CC2 is a cohesive book. No. In the same way that CC1 was. I think was. she just tried to do a little bit too much. And I we can't get further into this because we obviously haven't covered the second half of the book. 
but I'm interested to see how the rebel plotline will be important for CC3. But the thing is, she's such an intentional writer that I feel like they all are going to come back around. And they are. It's just a lot of things to do in one book. It is. And it's a big book. It's a, it's a chonker. I'm going to get into some of the stuff that I really enjoy. In the first book, I really enjoyed seeing Bryce's character develop. And I think you get more of her character development in this book. But it's kind of like she digresses a little bit because, mm-hmm. you know, the first book, she's grappling with Danica's th- death. She's trying to find herself after that. She's trying to understand Danica. And in this book, I feel like her, Danica's memory just keeps getting trampled right. every step of the way. And that's really hard for Bryce. And I really like Bryce as a character. And I think in this book, she gets reduced down. Like, she doesn't have as much character depth in this book. I feel like Bryce in this book is a lot of just, like, I had this best friend and I actually don't know her at all. Yeah. Like, that is what I take away from Bryce in this book. Yeah. And then also her relationship with Hunt is developing. And I love their relationship. I love seeing it develop in this book. And there's a lot of banter. And I think it makes Bryce a funny character, but it also makes her kind of, like, sassy and bratty, which I think is what we were trying to get away from, from the first book. So I just, I really like Bryce, but I don't, I struggle with her characterization in this book a little Mm -hmm. bit more. But I don't feel like Bryce is always supposed to be the most likable character, you know what I mean? No. And I think she makes some morally great choices. And this is something that you and I have had conversations about, both on the podcast and just, like, in planning, where, you know... In my mind, I feel like the main characters are supposed to be, like, wholly good characters, but I think all of SJM's main characters, both, like, male and female characters, are morally great characters, Mm -hmm. and sometimes I can forget that. Yeah, and I I mean, I think that gets, this is getting deep for a second, gets towards, like, human nature, like, I don't think any of us are wholly good or bad people, and, like, sometimes we make decisions that we might think are best for, like, us, the people we love, Mm -hmm. our goals. That are morally gray. Or, yeah, maybe, like, net harmful. Right, but yeah. at the time, they seem like the best choice we have with, like, the the circumstances or, like, what we have to pick the from. yeah. Um, and, like, I think this is something we talked about in one of the Akatar episodes when we were talking about Reese mm-hmm. revealing Valaris to the human queens. Mm-hmm. Like, in hindsight, the wrong choice. Yeah. And I don't think that was a morally gray choice as much, mm-hmm. but, like... I think that SJM does a good job of writing characters who make morally great choices, who make bad choices, wrong choices, and have to grapple with that. Yeah. Instead of, like, a perfect main character. Yeah. Which I think is something that strengthens the plots of the books. Right. They're a little bit more relatable. hmm Yeah. Um, but beyond, like, Bryce's characterization, I love Bryce and Hunt's relationship in this book. I think it's witty. I think it's funny. Their banter is hilarious. Like, there were moments when I was reading this book where, like, I actually laughed out loud. And I was like, that's funny. <laughs> and I we've talked about this before. Like, the modern setting of the book and the relationship in this modern setting makes me feel like I'm reading more of a modern romance novel, which is something that I like. Like, you get texts between them and they have, like, silly interactions with each other that I don't think you get in SJM's other books because it's in this modern setting. Like, just, like, the technology that they have and the way that their relationship can develop is different than in Tog and Akatar, which is something that I really, really enjoy. I know you'll probably talk about Rune. I know. I... I'm more ambivalent towards Rune. Like, I don't think Rune's hot. Some people think Rune's, like, really hot. 
Okay, but looks aside, how do you feel about Rune? I really like his character development in this book. And it starts, like, the plot with Agent um, Daybreak is a fantastic plot. It really is. And the implications that we'll talk about in the next episode are I can't wait for you all to hear us talk about who Agent Daybreak is. Because we were shookest. Yeah. I actually predicted it. Yeah, well, fuck off. <laughs> let, let this be known. Um, I had also already gotten to that point in the book when yeah. Emma predicted it, and I was like, you're wrong. <laughs> she gaslighted me. <laughs> I really did. You knew believed it. <laughs> yes. Um, because sometimes my book predictions are really out of pocket. <laughs> <laughs> I really convinced you that this one was out of pocket, and yeah. you were so right. I but we talked about this I think in the end of the last episode where you were saying that you really like Rune and Bryce's relationship as like brother sister developing and I think that is even more evident like Bryce throughout this book she makes a few comments where you know they're learning information she's like wait hold on like I need to call Rune he needs to be here for this and she remarks to herself like that's a really good feeling to have where she can you know reach out to him and she's glad that he's in her life again so I really like Rune from that perspective, but from like an attraction perspective. Okay, well, you're not into men anyways, so let's put that as the base level. I'm just saying Rune is not an attractive character. <laughs> Unobjectively attractive. Rune not. He talked there are multiple scenes where Rune, it's from his POV, and it's like Rune used his tongue to mess with his lip ring. <laughs> That's how I feel. You know how I feel about the lip ring. I just feel like it could spice things up. I don't want to know. I I don't want to know. <laughs> this is too personal. <laughs> would you like to talk more about Rune? Yeah, I would, actually. Okay. <laughs> I'm reading the notes. I didn't read Zoe's reactions. But she says, um, intro scene for Rune in this book. Arrow. Hot. In all caps. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel. Wait, let me tell you, when I read the book for the first time, and I got to that, I'm pretty sure I probably fumbled my Kindle. <laughs> Like, <laughs> it's just like, holy Jesus, what is this? So when this book came out, I think it came out on like a Thursday, maybe? I don't know. February 15th. And the two of us, we had both pre-ordered the like ebook version. And we had a little reading party that night. We made fun cocktails. This was before the podcast was even a thought. We made fun little themed cocktails and we sat our asses on the couch. Facing each other. And we read this book. Until we physically could not keep our eyes open. And I don't really remember us reacting in those moments to that scene. But obviously we read it together. So I'm just concerned for what was happening on your side of the couch. Because a lot of things. Zoe is a faster reader than me. So by the end of the night, like you were several chapters ahead of where I was but the next day I had a bunch of um samples to acquire in the flow cytometry core so I just read it I feel like you just made that that it's word not up. a fake word <laughs> so I had a bunch of things to do in the science word <laughs> that's what I got out of that. I was acquiring my samples and I was literally on the cytometer from like 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. and I sat my ass and I would put my tubes on and I would hit run <laughs> and I would read a few chapters and I would put a new top tube on and I read probably like 400 pages of that book in that day and so I was texting you and you were like stop talking to me about this I was sitting at school and I was like I'm gonna kill this bitch <laughs> I was just reading on my phone I we were talking about Rune do you have yeah. anything else to talk no about I always love Rune that scene where he gets pulled into the sewer I was like Swear to God, Sarah Jana, if you touch him, 
I'm gonna kill you. But I really loved going back to him and Bryce's relationship. I loved that like scene that they had down there where they were kind of fighting together. Yeah. Um, I love that they're kind of like a power duo now. Yeah. Like they, I feel like they really don't do make big decisions without consulting each other, yeah. which is just really sweet. Yeah. Um, which is such a departure from how their relationship was at the start of the series. And I think that this relationship is incredibly important to both of them. Yeah. Like, I'd say that Bryce is probably the most important relationship in Rune's life. Mm. And honestly, I'd probably go as far as to say for Bryce that Rune is the most important relationship in her life. Like, I know Hunt. But, like, I feel like at her core, like, Hunt right now is a boy. Interesting. And Rune, like, the way her and Rune's relationship has developed, Mm -hmm. I, I feel like Bryce could survive without Hunt. I don't know if she could survive without Rune right now. So that, okay. that's kind of how I feel about Rune. I also love that his little... Cru- so Emma talked about the Autumn King, like, talking to Rune and Cormac about their their betrothals. Mm-hmm. And Rune is kind of like, ooh, Hypaxia. <laughs> yeah. And I love that this little crush that he has on her has carried over to this book. I think it's yeah. so cute. I will say that while we were going through the plot... Um, I was really starting to question if I actually read this book. Like, you would say something, <laughs> and I was like, the who and the what and the what? You haven't reread this book, though, since we read it, right? No, so it's been over a year. Yeah. But I reread it. If you haven't gathered enough from what we said, a lot of things happened to this book. A lot. And there are so many major points that I feel like even some of the major points you can forget about, because there are other very major points. Right. And, like... When they all kind of build on each other, I can remember the end game. Yeah. But I don't necessarily remember point A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. Um, especially the first half of this book, like Emma said, it's, it is kind of set up for the second half mostly. Mm-hmm. And so it's really a blur to me. Yeah. Um, I will say I do love the redemption that Ethan gets in this book. Yeah. Um, Because he was not kind to Bryce in the first book. No, and it really stems from the ending of the first book, like, when Bryce and Ethan worked together to defeat some of the demons. Like, Ethan was in the city because he wasn't at the summit, so he was helping Bryce fight the demons and, like, round up the humans and save the other people in Crescent City, which we didn't really talk about that fight scene that much just because there's... There were so many things going on. Yeah. But I definitely think that it was fucked up the way that all of the wolves, and especially Ethan, do treat Bryce after Danica and the pack's death. Mm-hmm. But I think for Ethan especially, we have to give him some, like, deference or, mm-hmm. like, just, like... Space a little bit. Yeah, because he had lost his older brother, and he's grieving, and, like, everyone grieves differently, but also Bryce is... Bryce is a person to him that he can be mad at, mm-hmm. you know? Like... Sure, they think Briggs did it for a while, and I'm sure he's mad at Briggs. Yeah. But, like, Briggs is not really a tangible person for Ethan to blame. But Bryce is someone that he can actively be mad at. Yeah. Um, And mad at, like, the way that he treated Connor, or she treated Connor before he died. And also, like, you talked about the fact that Ethan kind of has a crush on Bryce and always has. And, like, maybe some guilt, even. I think that complicates things. Right. Yeah. And even, like, maybe being frustrated with his brother before he died about, like, his brother's relationship with Bryce. Mm-hmm. And then having that guilt and then taking it out on Bryce. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have a real soft spot for Ethan in this yeah. book. I just, I really love him. You he can't... seems like the, like, friend group little brother. You know what I yeah. mean? And you get more, you have 
<coughs> chapters from his perspective, and you just see a lot more of him in this book. So I think his character really develops, which I like. I will say this is my last point for this this part of the book mm-hmm. um, that I can get into without being like spoilery. Hunt's lightning powers on Bryce's hoo ha. <laughs> I am not a fan, <laughs> and I feel like all of y'all on. <laughs> I can't take you seriously. Why? <laughs> It's lightning powers on her hoo-ha. You keep saying her lady bits. I know, I know. In fact, you didn't even write lady bits into the notes. You just said her bits. Sorry. That could quite literally be her nose. Like, what What does that mean? The apex of her thighs. If you want to take the book approach. All right, well, Hunt's lightning powers on the apex of Brace's thighs. I'm not a fan. Um, I feel like everyone on Book Talk, like, every time oh I see God. something about it, they're like, it's Ooh. so hot. And I- just like to say i'm concerned about you guys and i have some questions i'm like i'm sure it, it wasn't designed to be pleasurable pleasurable not painful i but like i'm not kink shaming anyone <laughs> but <laughs> how every good sentence starts <laughs> why do you want to have your literal clit be electrocuted maybe it feels more like a a buzz I'm just playing devil's advocate here. The absolute stare that you just gave me of Can you malice and disgust. Lightning. Electricity. I know, I know, I know. In one very centralized spot in your body. I know. Bryce was really into it, though. I just, I read that, and Bryce is like, oh, yeah, that's great. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> like, the... The scene with Rune, like the first scene with Rune, where he's like, I'm high out of my mind, but there's this girl sitting on my face. I was like, hot. Love that. But then Bryce is like, and then Hunt zapped me with his lightning and queen powers. It's just like, ka-chow? Ka-chow. I was just like, like, oh my god, are we taking a turn? And like, spoiler alert, they have sex in this book again. Like, I don't feel like that's really a big spoiler. <laughs> and it happens, he uses it again because he's like, yeah, Bryce is into this. Even reading the later sex scenes, I was, like, the first time I didn't know if it was the shock value. Or reading it Pun was not intended for love it. The shock value? But I was like... <laughs> That's what they call Hunt. <laughs> or Lightning McQueen. Yes. I can't believe you compared Hunt, one of the most powerful angels to ever exist, to fucking Lightning McQueen. Ka-chow. Ka-chow. I just, I don't get it. I'm never going to get it. <laughs> well, maybe we need to call Hunt for you. I was about to say, unless Hunt Athelar jumps out of the book, gets in my room, and shows me what this is all about. Right. <laughs> I hope your mother doesn't listen to this episode. Sorry, mom. <laughs> but like, just <laughs> saying, I don't get it, and I'm not gonna get it unless someone tries to electrocute me. You had I guess. to be there, I guess. Also, the apartment, Jim. <laughs> Look, I think they like it a little bit spicier than some of the other SJM couples. I'm just saying. I've been, I think the public place adds to I've the... been in a lot of apartment gyms, and never once did I look around and be like, hmm, yes, this Sexy. is where I want to get it on. 
This is why their the romance feels more like a modern romance book to me. Because they're fucking in their apartment gym? Yes, that feels like something that would happen in a, a modern romance book. Like, that can't happen in Akatar because there's not a fucking apartment gym for them to fuck in. They could fuck in the training room. Well, I think they did. Well, <laughs> it's that's, just, it's that's not, the equivalent of the apartment gym. It's not the same as, like, the modern setting is very specific in my mind. Do you know, while we're comparing the sex scenes to Akatar really quick, mm-hmm. I would just like to talk about the parallel between um, Asriel reacting to Nesta giving Cassian a blowjob at the table and Ethan <laughs> reacting to Bryce giving Hunt a blowjob in her bedroom. Yeah, <laughs> where Asriel's like, this is where I eat my fucking dinner. <laughs> Can you not? <laughs> and Ethan's like, the horror, the trauma. Flipping back through the book to like fill out the rest of the plot to make sure you know I have everything okay. And I reread that chapter and I came to it midway through and I'm like, I'm starting this chapter from the beginning and I read the entire chapter and it is hilarious. It's hot, but it's also hilarious. Like Ethan in the scene is so funny. Like they finish and he's like, my ears, they're bleeding. And then <laughs> Hunt makes a comment about like, I'm going to fuck you senseless or like, I'm going to fuck you until your body's like bleak or whatever and Ethan goes that sounds medically dangerous <laughs> it's just so funny and Ethan ends up moving this comes up like in the chapter right before the we stopped our plot summary but he ends up moving out of Bryce's apartment and she's like I don't want you to think that we're sexiling and he goes it's fine I want to live with Rune anyways <laughs> he's just like deadpan about the whole situation um before we go I would just like to say for one final time. Ka-chow. <laughs> I think lacerations is a stupid word, first of all. This isn't about me. This is about us. And about books. I want to get plastered. Okay. And then it festers.